0: Hello, I'm Jenna Opphoff-Grey, founder and artistic director of Forward Theatre Company. And this is Theatre Forward, a twice-monthly conversation about theatre from a local, regional, and national perspective. From Madison to Manhattan, we're excited to share insight into our own company while exploring issues surrounding theatre in the Midwest and around the country. Welcome to episode 35 of Theatre Forward. This. This episode, we're doing something a little different for us, which is embedding an episode of one of our favorite Wisconsin podcasts, Blacker the Berry. This podcast was created by Milwaukee artist Demonte Henning, a frequent collaborator of ours here at Forward Theatre. Here, he most recently starred in our production of Skeleton Crew. He's also been seen on stage at companies like Milwaukee Rep, First Stage, and Writers Theatre. DeMonte is the artistic director of Lights Camera Soul, a theater arts organization committed to the advancement of Black artistry and presenting stories that reflect the Black experience. I'm so thrilled to have this chance now to talk with DeMonte about his efforts, and then we'll be sharing with you the debut episode of Black River Berry. DeMonte, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Good. I'm seeing your face here. (laughs)
1: Likewise. (laughs) Um,
0: it It is always wonderful to talk with you. Will you start just by telling us a little bit about Lights Camera Soul and what you're doing with that organization?
1: Absolutely. So, Lights Camera Soul uh, was founded in 2013. Uh, We first started as a student organization on the campuses of UW Milwaukee and the campuses of uh, Alverno College. And it came about because I noticed that there was um, a a need for young um, black artists to perform. I noticed I was go to plays and I wouldn't see you know specifically people who were um maybe 30 and under I wouldn't see them at the shows I would be there but I wouldn't see them there I would say to myself uh what can I do to help change this how can I uh lead this and and be a part of this and so um a group of us we got together and that's how we founded Lights Camera Soul and initially we started as um a student organization as I mentioned But we wanted to be um, a multidisciplinary um, organization, meaning that we would cover theater, we would cover dance, we would cover um, music. That became too much. And then uh, we kind of had to revamp it and just use theater as a backdrop and figure out ways of how uh, theater can be incorporated in music. How can theater be incorporated in uh, visual art? And so that's what we uh, try to do um, today, we try to give opportunities to advance Black artistry um, and to tell stories that reflect the Black experience.
0: What are some of the um, recent projects that you've worked on with Lights Camera like, Soul?
1: Absolutely. So in 2015, we did a production of uh, the Color Museum um, on the campus of UW-Milwaukee. 2000, uh, I believe that that Uh, Winter, we did uh, Mahalia, the gospel musical based off of the gospel singer Mahalia Jackson. Um, And then in 2016, we did a production of Emergency um, written by Daniel Beatty. It's a choreo poem about um, a slave ship that washes up in New York City. And it kind of sends the entire city into like this uproar because it's the 2000s and why is a slave ship in New York City? And so um, it's a story about how people from different communities come together um, amidst uh, uh, this tragedy, something similar to what we're uh, experiencing today with this pandemic. Um, I think that one thing that I've learned um, about during this pandemic is that um, no matter what, we are in this together, like we are, you know, tenants of Mother Earth, and we have to come together. And that was the message in emergency. Uh, Our most recent live production was in 2018. It was an event called um, Artist Therapy. And our goal with presenting that event was to give an opportunity for, um, once again, as I mentioned, for theater and another discipline to kind of merge together. What we did was uh, we told, um, we sent out a, uh, a message for emerging playwrights to submit their stories. Uh, through our word up playwriting competition, and there was a winner. And then we did a workshop, three day workshop of that play, and then we presented it in a stage reading, followed by um, a live concert um, of songs that uh, were um, reflective of the themes from the reading in Act One. Um, and so that that's what we've been up to, um, besides our podcast, Black of the Berry.
0: I love well t- tell us about um, Black or the Berry and what kind of led you to start it and what you um, have been learning working on it.
1: Absolutely. Um, so as I mentioned before, our, our biggest thing is that we want to we wanna share stories that reflect the black experience. That's that's what we're about. And I feel like there are there's just an array of stories that you can share that reflect the black experience. And one thing that we try to do is we try to get black artists in here you get stories um, that are about people overcoming obstacles that they face in their careers. How does uh, someone deal with uh, being a mother and, and, and being in this crazy career of being an actor, having to um, go to rehearsals and pick their kids up from school? Um, how do you use art to heal a neighborhood, to grow a garden? How do you use theater? And those are some of the stories that we've collected um, in season one of Black at the Berry, and we've received um, an amazing feedback from people, and I couldn't be uh, just m- more grateful and just honored that these artists would want to share their personal stories with me and with the world. Um, it's it's just been um, a passion project of mine, and I'm just very grateful to be able to share it with everyone.
0: I, I have to say I've been listening to it since your first episode, and and it's it's so wonderful the conversations that you're you're able to get people to such sort of deep, profound um understanding of themselves and their careers in such a short period of time. They just feel incredibly honest and insightful. I love listening to them. There's a couple, I I really love the conversation with Andre Lee Ellis. Um amazing, amazing person. And of course, you know, you've featured several theater artists that we also work with here at Forward, Malkia, Stampley-Johnson, Gavin Lawrence. So as a theater person, it's particularly fun listening to those. Um, I, and I certainly hope that everyone who's listening to this conversation right now will, will check all of these out. But um, you are just uh, launching season two now, right? And you're taking a slightly different tack on that one?
1: Absolutely. So, season two, um, our first episode premiered on June first, featuring Braylon Stevens, who's a founder and CEO of uh, a brand called Embraced. Um, and so, we're still sticking with the one-person storytelling element um, of them telling a personal story, uh, but this time we're going to do like what I like to call bonus episodes of where we feature um, a conversation uh, interview style um, where we'll have um people talking about relationships um there will be uh, an episode where you have uh, i don't want to get too much away because i kind of just pop up out of nowhere in the season um but you're gonna just how do you manage um being in a relationship with someone who is an artist and you are you work in a completely different world so you have those type of conversations um and and just see what what comes out of that. Um, so those will pop up periodically throughout season two. We have um, eight to ten different stories that will be featured this season. Some of them are not even uh, Wisconsin artists. We have an artist named Eric Gerard who is based in Chicago. Another artist named Donjay uh, Live who is in Florida. So these are stories that we'll be collecting from around uh, the country. And the theme that we also went with this season, uh, as opposed to last season, was the theme of purpose. So you hear a lot of stories about purpose, what gives people purpose, what drives you, and uh, what purpose means to you.
0: Well, I know that that would have been a theme you set prior to our world kind of turning upside down, uh, but how perfect for this yeah. one, especially for for those of us that are that are artists. And, and who are dealing with real restrictions and limitations on the ways in which we can create our art right now. So um, it's, it's, it's a perfect theme. I'm so excited to hear all of these episodes. Um, I know that uh, you chose for the episode that we're going to um, play in a minute, the, the debut episode of season one, right? Do you want to talk a little bit yeah. about what this episode is uh, touching on?
1: Absolutely. Um, this first episode premiered in October of 2019 by a phenomenal artist uh, who I have collaborated with um, ever since Black of the Berry premiered. Her name is Be Free. And in this story, uh, Sheila will be talking about how she overcame a very challenging uh, illness in her throat. Um, and you'll see uh, the steps in which she took to overcome that. Um, And she is a phenomenal singer, and you'll hear, uh, I'm just going to let the story do the work, basically, at this point. Um, And I think that a lot of people would take something away from it.
0: Uh, Well, I I think we should just jump right into it. Uh, It's so amazing talking to to you about all of this. You're doing such great work to support artists in our state to support the black community in our state and, and especially where those two Venn diagram circles overlap. Um, it's so needed and so valued and appreciated. Um, and so everyone listening now enjoy this episode from black or the berry.
2: You are now listening to Blacker the berry, a podcast for illuminating the voices, stories, and ideas of black artists. New episodes of Blacker the Berry are available to stream every two weeks on Apple Podcast and Google Play. Blacker the Berry is produced by Lights, Camera, Soul, a theater arts organization in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, committed to the development of emerging theater artists with the production of events written by, for, and about the Black experience. On this week's premiere episode of Blacker the Berry, we have Milwaukee music luminary Be Free. To our ears, Be Free's music can be described as that sweet pumpkin spice taste with a little shot of rum for extra flavor. On this week's episode, she shares her personal story of when she felt the most vulnerable as an artist. Oh. So
3: I am describing a time when I felt most vulnerable as an artist and how I was able to overcome it. Um, this is super interesting for me in particular, because I feel like the entire plight of my career has been nothing but adversity, that <laughs> I've kind of had to fight my way through getting through in some level, way, shape or form throughout any point in my life. Um, I've always known, ever since I was a little girl, that singing and music and being an artist was something that I definitely was going to do. I knew it was my calling. So that was never really something that was optional for me. Uh, however, uh, even going to school and learning how to play instruments and doing everything that I've done, there's always little been little hurdles here and there that have kind of made me have to take a back or take a step back, so to speak. After my first album was finished, uh, which was um, Open Mic, Open Heart, I released that in 2012. Uh, I was kind of a bit of a crossroad because I had just put this project out and I also had just recently graduated from grad school. Now, this was I was going to school in Chicago at Varenica College of Music to get my music education degree, my master's degree. Um, So all this was happening literally at the same time. So once I got graduated, once I finished my album, it was like a whole now what? That was the weight of everything that was kind of weighing on me at the time. And on top of that, I was also transitioning to moving back to Milwaukee, because now that I was finished with school, I had to start a job. Uh, My first real job job as a professional adult, I would say, uh, was teaching music, ironically. Um, And I was able to do that for seven strong years. Um, But in the beginning, it was a very, very difficult thing for me to balance because I had just gotten accustomed to me working as a professional performer, as a musician, as a singer, but I also had to mix in the balance of keeping a regular teaching schedule, lesson plans and classes. And on top of that, also being surrounded by a number of different types of germs and beings and ages and a lot of I, I taught kindergarten through eighth, kindergarten through eighth grade. So that was a bit of a hurdle in itself. Uh, I made it through the first year and through that point of time, I got incredibly sick very, very often. Lucky for me, I had that full-time job health insurance coverage, (laughs) but I would say it was around late 2013 and always seems to be the fall. The fall is always a pinnacle year for me because really big things seem to happen for me that marks some sort of big thing or transition in my life. But it was the fall of 2013 and I had gotten sick. And normally when I get sick, I'm like, oh, well, here we go again. Like i am got a cold, I have laryngitis, and this is just kind of like regular routine sort of thing for me. However, this particular bout of illness was new because it lasted for quite a long time. And all of the home memories that I was doing that I know normally keep me afloat, like the Robitussin and the T's and the vocal rest and the steam, nothing that I was doing was... Able to bring my voice back and not even my speaking voice. And as a matter of fact, everything was getting worse. It was getting to the point where um, when I was coughing, everything was burning. Things that I would ingest, try to eat, or try to drink would make my throat burn. So it was a very, very, very scary time for me. I was in and out of the hospital, in and out of urgent care, and nobody could pinpoint exactly what was going on with my throat. Uh, it took quite a few doctor visits for them to actually realize that um, I had a throat infection <laughs> and I had never actually heard of it before. This was the first time that I had to go visit an otolaryngologist. And that's a person that's a pretty much an ear, nose and throat doctor. And from them putting a camera in my throat and kind of getting a close look, they were like, oh, well, you have a throat infection called herpingina. And it sounds just about as gross as you think. So. <laughs> Herpangina is a throat infection that is only contracted through children. That adults can get it, but it's pretty much almost like that hand, foot, and mouth sort of disease. Um, But children contract it or give it, transfer it to adults through germs in their hands and from going to the bathroom and stuff like that. And ironically, I was surrounded by nothing but that at the time because I was teaching music. So I was completely devastated because all the time that I spent in school, all the time that I spent trying to establish this career for myself and find a way to not only balance my love for performing and music and my artistry, but also give that to other people, now was being jeopardized by me trying to balance all of that. I had no choice literally but to return to work. So aside from me trying to heal myself, I was also having to work and having to sing and talk on top of an already damaged voice. So I had to actually teach an entire concert that autumn, unable to sing a single word. I had to give my students packets and talk to them by writing on the board and nothing but a ton of YouTube videos and audio clips and banging as many notes on the piano as I could to try to get them to learn their songs. And literally by the grace of God, we made it through. But that was honestly one of the most difficult things that I've ever had to do because I was faced with the possibility of me not ever being able to sing again. And it only doesn't really help when you're exacerbating the problem by having to sing and talk on top of that because nobody else can do your job for you. So by the time I was clearing everything out and they got a chance to kind of see where I was at, I had the speech therapy, I had many, many throat scopes, many, many cameras put down my throat. That's when they were able to see the literal level of damage that had been done because I was able to talk again, but I couldn't sing. I still could not sing a single note. So they determined at that time, you're going to have to have vocal cord surgery. So now on top of me already dealing with the devastation of, um, oh, I didn't know that this was going on and I can't sing and I can't do this. Now you're talking about cutting open my vocal cords. And as a singer, especially when you're in school for music, your teachers, they, te- they tell you all the time, like having to have an operation of, of that magnitude on your voice is scary. because you never know what's going to be the outcome. Um, There's a singer, a very, very famous woman by the name of Julie Andrews. Um, You know, may know her from The Sound of Music and Mary Poppins. She, in her heyday, had a beautiful voice, had a very, very beautiful voice. And she actually experienced um, something called nodules, which are little, little Bumps that actually form on your vocal cords from constant, constant rubbing together. And she had to have surgery and her voice never came back. Like if you've ever seen like the Princess Diaries and anything of recent time that she's been in, she literally sounds like a completely different person. And that is a scary, scary reality for anybody to have to think about. But I really didn't have much of a choice because everything that they were doing at the time to try to rehabilitate my singing voice was not working. So surgery seemed to be the only option. So I made it through the end of that school year. And by the summer of 2014, uh, I went under. And it was also another scary <laughs> moment for me because I've never actually had any kind of surgery whatsoever prior to that. It was my first time being admitted into a hospital long term. It was my first time having anesthesia. And I was afraid that I was going to wake up in the middle of the surgery and not know what's going to go on. And it was, it was just extremely, extremely frightening all around. Um, the time, and the surgery went well. It was very successful, luckily for me. Uh, and then there was just more waiting, more and more waiting to see what was going to happen, waiting to see how my voice was going to heal, if it was going to come back the same way. If not, how was it going to work around that? So I would say altogether, the time from the period of time where I got sick, to the time where I had to heal was about 11 months and I was going crazy. I was freaking out. I was completely and utterly devastated. Music was all that I've ever known my entire life. It's all I've ever believed in as far as being my source of my livelihood and my creativity and my artistry. So to have to face the fact that I might not be able to do that again was completely horrendous to me. And I was at a standstill. So aside from all of that, I was also, before I got sick, trying to figure out what my next step musically was going to be, like thinking about next albums. And I was pretty much creating any and everything that I could think of, but it was crap. (laughs) It was really crap. I think I was caught up in the idea that you had to have something out there For people to hear in order for you to stay relevant, especially if you had just released a project, you didn't want to lose that momentum. And I think that that's a really dangerous, it's a dangerous place to be artistically because you don't want to create anything just for the sake of making it. You want it to come from a a space of authenticity or else everybody won't receive well. And it's ironic because as horrible and as crazy as that whole situation was, it literally forced me to sit down. It literally forced me to stand still and take a look at what I wanted to do with my craft. And I had to ask myself some very hard questions like, okay, you have to face the reality of you never being able to sing again. It's just a thing. It's a possibility. What else are you going to do musically? Can you write? Can you still play your instruments? Because I play flute. I play flute for over 20 years. I play piano. Can you still produce? Because I produce my own music. Uh, And all of these things, does that mean that you can't do that for other people? So I was more so coming from the place of I'm going to make sure that my story and everything that I have to say musically is going to be heard one way or another. So either I was going to be writing things for myself to hopefully be able to perform again one day, or I was going to be creating and curating a project that was I would just have to sell or try to give to somebody else so that I would leave my mark musically on the world some way in shape or form if I can't do it myself. So, luckily, um by the end of 2014, I was able to sing again. And I remember the very first moment where my voice came back, so to speak, um Janelle Monáe had just released uh year prior to that uh, the electric lady album and it was the very first day that she released the video for electric lady and i was watching on my phone and i was just running through the house like what? and i was like oh my god <laughs> and i was like wait did that just come out of me because i was so afraid so to try i could not believe that i was able to make those sounds and they were rough they were they were very rough <laughs> mind you but it was something and it was it was kind of proof that I had hope. I had hope musically. So I remember there was so many tears streaming down my face and I just played that song and that video over and over and over again because that was the very first thing that I was ever able to sing post vocal chorus surgery. And it's because of that, to this day, that that song specifically is my theme song to life and why Janelle is one of my biggest idols in music ever. Um, So Now that I was here, after I was able to get my voice back, I had to learn how to sing again, honestly. Because even though I was able to talk and, you know, singing was a a strong possibility again, my voice definitely was not the same. Uh, I lost about a third of my full range of my octave that I used to have. Uh, When I was, before I got sick, I was saying the highest space I could sing was about a comfortable mezzo soprano. Now it's just like really, really (laughs) alto-ish, And um, it, my length of time that I can sing uh, definitely changed. Like I used to have a lot more longevity before everything would get tired vocally. So I had to be mindful of things like that. Uh, it was definitely hard. I had to get to know myself again. I had to get to know myself musically again. And <clears throat> I thought about everything that happened. And while I was you know, creating and figuring out what was going on, I thought that it would be cool and just make sense for me to take some of these experiences that I was having with my voice and kind of personify them through my music. So my relationship with my voice and losing it was almost like losing a person that you love. Somebody that you you know been dealing with for so long and the devastation of, of that person not being there anymore and all the ups and downs of trying to convince yourself that you'll be fine without it, but knowing not really who you are in the back and the forth. So um, my second project um, is called Ode to a Love Affair. And while everything about it is kind of face value from beginning to end, there are quite a few songs on there that um, actually are me taking some of my lamentive types of experiences and feelings about losing my voice and not knowing if it was going to come back and putting it into musical form. Um, Luckily for me, everything worked out positively. And I do appreciate the time that I was able to put into that project because it definitely taught me so much more about the industry, taught me so much more about being an indie artist and doing everything myself. Um, It definitely taught me more about what I need to put forth when it comes to creating my art. Um, And it was received very, very positively. Uh, Even though I did put my first album out, you know, a few years prior, nobody really noticed. (laughs) You know, it was kind of like the plunk in the water. Um, With this album, because it was able to accompany my story about, oh, by the way, I couldn't sing for this whole time, but this is what I created during that downtime. I think that it definitely sparked a lot of intrigue um, and it kind of just took off like a wildfire. Uh, The album went on to become uh, the Journal Sentinel's number one Milwaukee album in 2017. And that led to a number of opportunities um, that I was afforded uh, performing in lots of different venues and different spaces, different showcases. Um, I've been able to curate a few shows here in the city where I can kind of take thematic material and put my friends on because I have a lot of talented friends here in the city as well. Um, But the biggest triumph for me was definitely uh, the summer of 2018 because I had just got done doing MJ Uncovered at Turner Hall and I didn't really know what was going to be my life for the summer performances, and I had met this person. named David Seboff. I believe that's how you say his name. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing it. But this he was a booker for Summerfest. I met him through Backline because they have workshops at Radio in Milwaukee often. And I was just flat out asking him like, okay, so I'm here. You're here. How do I get on Summerfest? Because I've never played Summerfest as a solo artist. Like I've only ever been there as a child. Like I was doing it with the Showtime with the Apollo they had at the Paps. I was there for that. I've been there as a background singer or a flautist or with other acts, but never as be free. And something has to be done to change this because clearly I'm the bomb, you know. <laughs> so I didn't really hear much from that after that conversation. But I was happy to have at least made the connection because I've never known anybody who was actually directly connected to Summerfest prior to that. And I remember I had just got back to my classroom after um, doing a concert rehearsal with my kids. And I just checked my phone as I normally do for my emails. And there was an email titled Janelle Monet. And I was like, er? <laughs> like, what is this about? And I opened it and it was the gentleman from the back line. And he emailed me and he was like, yeah, it was really great meeting you of a week or so ago. I um, wanted to know if you'd be op- interested in opening directly for Janelle Monet and Summerfest. And I set, I literally set my 30-year-old behind in the corner of my classroom and bawled. I bawled like a baby. I cried, I cried, and I cried some more. And it was was just so, everything came so full circle for me. Everything came so full circle for me with that moment, not just because of the fact that she is such a huge inspiration to me and my life and my career, but I thought back to that moment, that moment where I lost my voice and I was waiting to see what my musical fate was going to be and the fact that it was her song and it was her music that was the first thing that came out of my voice when I was able to get some kind of glimmer of hope that I'd be able to bring it back. it was Everything just made so, so much sense and I I could not have asked for a bigger, bigger, bigger amount of blessings than that. And it was super funny too because when I found out she was coming to Summerfest, I was talking so much junk (laughs) on Facebook and I was like, who was opening up for her, because I know whoever it is, I'm gonna be in the front row judging you know because and I'm like little that I know, I'm the person that I'm gonna be judging, so it was really, really funny, it was ironic, and it's still to this day it's 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 still completely one of the most surreal experiences that I have ever had in my entire life, and I definitely think that that story as far as like everything that I went through with that experience definitely highlights the magnitude of perseverance that's necessary for somebody like me with what I do. Um, Now, since then, I have made the conscious choice to step down from teaching music full-time only because um, it's continued to be a bit of a detriment on my health vocally. And given the amount of history that I have, um, I don't really wanna continue to put myself in an environment where I'll have to do a crapshoot on whether or not my voice is going to come back from a lengthy amount of illness again. And when something like that happened similarly again last fall, um, I think that it was more than enough of a sign for from above. that this was time for me to try to just refocus my musical and my artistic energy. Very much still an educator, very much still involved in as many Um, endeavors as I can that helps me get music and its tools and the industry and my my knowledge base and everything that I've learned in my journey into the hands of as many youth as possible. I have the opportunity to be running a program like that at Radio Milwaukee um, called Grace Roberts Music Lab, where we're able to host teenagers every month, we bring them in and give them master classes and performance and interviews from professionals within the music industry, which is awesome. Um, not only am I able to still utilize a lot of the same skill sets that I gather from teaching music seven years, but I also feel like I'm able to give my own personal insight from being an artist myself. And I can add that along to the experience that I'm giving to these teenagers and letting them see uh, a live example of somebody within their own city that's taking all of these different things and leveraging it the best way that they know how. Um, As far as what's next for me, I'm not really sure. And I'm really, it's funny because I technically overcame that situation, but I still feel like every day there's something that's always making me feel like it's still something I have to recover from. And there's other similar instances, but I, I do like to look at that particular segment as proof that, no matter what's thrown at me, that some way, somehow, I'm just going to have to be okay.
2: And now, How Black Is Your Berry? A reflective tidbit on the well-known phrase, Black or the Berry.
3: When I hear the phrase, the black of the berry, uh, honestly, the first thing that comes to mind these days for me is Kendrick Lamar, (laughs) because that was literally the title of one of his songs. Uh, But that phrase I've heard my entire life, and it's always kind of just been a way of embracing melanin to me, because they're pretty much saying that, you know, the darker you are, the more color you have, the deeper your roots are, the sweeter your juice is. And I think of that as just encompassing and empowering the entire spectrum, the entire diaspora, and all that that entails when it comes to the excellence and the amazingness and the beauty that comes with being a part of the African or the African-American culture. And I am very much proud of being a black woman. I'm very much proud, proud of the amount of black girl magic that I try to serve up every day. Um, and also just happy to support anything that gives a platform to that sort of mentality and that ideology. Uh, black and a berry literally
0: just means, uh, we got the juice. That's all for this episode of Theater Forward, a conversation about theater in Wisconsin, the Midwest, and America. Thank you for joining us. And our thanks to DeMonte Henning for being with us for this conversation. We encourage you to subscribe to Black or the Berry on any podcast platform so that you can hear all of their upcoming episodes. Our podcast is produced by Scott Hayden. and You can follow us or share your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter at Theater Forward, as always with an ER. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Or your preferred platform, and be sure to leave a review. We're grateful to have you listening, and we'll be back soon for another Theater Forward conversation.